0: Welcome to What's the Word podcast with myself, Nick Henderson, a resource that helps push you further in your faith by discussing what God's Word has to say about various topics that tend to trip up believers and keep us from advancing into the place God has for us. I'm so grateful you're tuning in today. And before we get into the content, I want to ask if this episode provides you any value that you would leave a review and also share this show on your social media. Those two things help a ton. With that aside, let's jump in to today's episode. This week's episode consists of an interview with author, speaker, and relationship expert Gary Thomas. This interview is chocked full of awesome principles, everything from dating pro tips to marriage wisdom, and especially a conversation centered around finding your future spouse. So listen in. Be encouraged and equipped to honor God in your relationships.
1: I wrote the sacred search because I found that Christians were getting married for the same reasons as non-Christians. None of those reasons predicted future marital happiness or fulfillment. Uh, Those three reasons, usually in our culture, if these three things are there, people want to get married. There's high feelings. You can call it infatuation. You can call it romantic attraction. Uh, Sexual chemistry. So it's not just that you have these feelings. There's that sexual component where there's just really the desire to be together that way. And then you get along great when you're on dates, when you're having fun, you're doing those things. And a lot of people think, look, I've never felt this way before, have a lot of sexual chemistry. We have such a good time together. We seem like we have a lot in common. Let's go ahead and get married. That's how probably 90% of the people who get married out of choice do it for those reasons. None of them predict future marital happiness. None of them are very good evaluators of future marital fulfillment and connection. Um, And so I wanted to help Christians start to think, how should faith drive my decision? How does my love for Jesus, the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, impact who I choose to marry?
0: And so I kind of want to hit on that, what you said, right? I mean, a lot of it speaks to the issues that, you know, single people have when it comes to, or at least the, the problems they run into when it comes to finding a spouse. What are some of like the biggest blunders issues that you see in young people when it comes to searching for a spouse?
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say those three things. So if people aren't convinced, let me say those, why these three don't work. Uh, we know from neuroscience now, I mean, this generation can be better equipped than literally any generation before, because it was difficult to study the brain the way we do, looking at chemical interactions and whatnot. So we know that infatuation is about a 12 to 18-month neurochemical response. But even then, an infatuation at, say, 13 months, looked at under a scope, is different than one at six or seven months. And so when you marry someone for life, for something that's going to fade after about a year and a half, which, you know, maybe you can get married, not enough to get married and have a child. I mean, it's just not very long. It just really shouldn't be that relevant. Now you still have romantic feelings for each other. I'm not saying romance dies. I'm talking about infatuation in particular. So, and and this will sound even more controversial to some of your listeners, Nick, if I don't think that it's wise to get married for infatuation because it's just not going to be a factor for very long. I also think it's foolish to not marry someone primarily because you don't feel infatuated with A lot of young people think that's making a compromise. That's a sacrifice that they're selling out by marrying someone they're not head over heels. What's the problem with that? Number one, not everybody can get infatuated to the same level as someone else. Your ability to become infatuated can be related in part to your brain mapping, your sense of security, your sense of self-esteem, family mapping, all of those things can impact whether or not you can be head over heels infatuated. So just because somebody seems more intense in their infatuation, it could be not always, it could be they're just more insecure. <laughs> and, and, and so they hit infatuation hits them harder. So that's a big mistake to let infatuation drive you towards someone or the lack of infatuation that blinds you to someone. Uh, Sexual chemistry works somewhat like infatuation in this sense. Long-term sexual satisfaction in marriage is dependent far more on character and the quality of the relationship. It's not that raw sexual desire that you have earlier in the relationship. When you care for each other, when you love each other, you want to enjoy each other, you want to serve each other, you want to receive from each other. It's a whole different dynamic where it's usually character issues that are going to make the problems show up in the bedroom more than a lack of sexual chemistry. And third, why is dating not that important? Dating is just different than marriage. If you get along great on a date, all that tells you is how well you'll do on vacation. So Nick, I know this because I know where you work. How many weeks of vacation do you get a year?
0: (laughs) Uh, three weeks. Three if, uh... weeks. So
1: you're up there. You've been there a little bit longer. So you get three weeks. So are you going to put up with 49 miserable weeks <laughs> for three good weeks? I, I mean, it, te- it doesn't tell you how long, how well you'll handle a mortgage, how well you'll raise kids, mm. how well you'll run a household, how well you relate living together. It just says when you're out having fun, you do pretty well together, but that's not married life. And so, none of those three on their own should drive you to marriage. And even if they're all together, you could say, I'm really infatuated. Sexual chemistry is high. We have such a great time on dates. It might shock some people when I say, that's really not a good reason to get married. None of that predicts how well you'll do in marriage or how happy or fulfilling your marriage will be.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, I love what you said there about, you know, infatuation won't alone won't set you up for a great married life but what are maybe some of the tangible things that you would say for a single person searching for a spouse
1: well let me let me get spiritual and i'll get very practical. okay spiritually i think it's christians because this was the whole purpose behind the sacred church is to get people to apply their faith jesus gives all of us the agenda for our life and it comes from matthew 6:33, the sermon on the mount when he says seek first not a happy marriage, not successful kids, not wealth, not a fun life or a comfortable life. Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And then Nick, there's this huge promise, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Now in Greek, that's continuous tense. It's present tense, it means continually keep on seeking the kingdom of God. What, what does that mean? The kingdom of God is his rule, his reign, his influence over our life. It means I wake up and instead of my agenda being about me being enriched or famous or wealthy or happy or comfortable, God, what can I do to help grow your kingdom? How are you using me today? What resources have you given me? What gifts have you given me that I can help reveal you to others that I can serve you and honor you? And then I'm to seek first his righteousness. You know, a lot of us want to seek our own wealth. We want to seek, again, our happiness. We want to seek our fun. And Jesus says we should be more concerned about righteousness, growing in gentleness, compassion, patience, love, um, and and get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. That's Colossians 3. And, And so I should be focusing on my character and my purpose. And coincidentally, actually, I don't think it's coincidentally, but I think it's very a wonderful mix. If I find two people that are first seeking first the kingdom of God, it solves one of the biggest problems that causes marriages to fail. And that's people become bored. You, you might see studies where people say, why do marriages fail? They talk about in-laws, they talk about financial issues, they talk about sex issues, all that. Fine. In large part, I see a lot of people, neck where they're just bored with each other. Uh, and the reason for that is when you live for yourself, you become boring. It doesn't matter if you're in Hollywood. You see Hollywood people get bored. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy. Look at the billionaires: uh, Bezos, Gates. Uh, I mean, they're all getting divorced. It seems like so. So money doesn't guarantee that. Selfishness is boring. Whether you're wealthy, whether you're famous, whether you're beautiful, whether you're athletic. And, and seeking first the kingdom of God, now you have a reason to live for something other than yourself. Together, your brother and sister in Christ. You're trying to build the kingdom of God. You're offering yourself up to, to serve the kingdom of God. That's going to create sacrifice. That's going to create meaning and fulfillment because it's what God created us to do. And if you live a selfish life, you should, unless you have a callous soul, feel restless. There should be that part of you that says there's got to be more to life than this. Whatever's going on, something's not right. Now, tragically, some people think, well, I must have married the wrong person. If I married the right person, then I would feel fulfilled. And it's like, no, don't worry about falling out of love. Worry about falling out of purpose. The second part of Matthew 633 is seek first his righteousness. You're looking for somebody who's growing in righteousness. Again, as a pastor, when most people come to me, and there's an issue they need to have resolved in their marriage, it goes back to character. Somebody's not being responsible with their money. Somebody's not being responsible with their time. Somebody's pro- have a problem with anger or impatience or control or lust or materialism. Fill in the blank. And if you're seeking first his righteousness, you're dying to the things that destroy most marriages anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. And you're building the qualities that make relationships feel rewarding. Compassion, gentleness, kindness, patience, and love. You're acting that way. Two people are acting that way. They don't want to get a divorce. They love being together. They're encouraging each other. So what I'm looking for is someone who's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're following the commands of Jesus. And then I know, okay, not only do I love him now, If they're seeking first his righteousness, they're gonna be more loving. They're gonna be more humble. They're gonna be more patient. They're gonna be gentler. I'm gonna appreciate them even more on year 10 rather than less. It's the opposite of infatuation. And if they have purpose, they're not expecting me to fulfill them. They're not gonna blame me if they get bored. They're seeking God, so they're gonna inspire me and they're gonna support me. So that's what I would be looking for first. I've been talking for a long time. I could go on to a bunch of the practical things, but let me have you jump in if you want to direct it because I've been running on.
0: No, and what it seems clear to be is that infatuation wanes over time and that someone who is chasing after righteousness in God's kingdom tends to grow because it leads to purpose, right? And purpose is what pushes people forward in their marriage, which is what I kind of want to hit on here. You mentioned something in the book. This idea of marriage, a great marriage, at least, is not something you find like this idea of like, I found the person that I was destined to be with all this time. But instead of something that you find, it's something that you make, that you create, that you build. What do you mean by that? Could you go into detail and expound on that for the listeners?
1: Yeah, that it's one thing to say I do on your wedding day. It's another thing to say I will. It's easy to say I do on a romantic day when you've spent tens of thousands of dollars to invite your closest friends and family members there. What matters more is saying I will. The certain, that, the persevering things you need to do to build a relationship that lasts. James 1, 4 has, I think, a powerful verse for Christian life and for relationships. He so says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what James is saying is, you know, growing in Christ isn't rocket science. You need time in the Word. You need to pray. You need times of worship. You need times of service. What happens is we start to get bored praying, so we don't pray. We don't get at the pop out of the Word we used to, so we don't get into the Word as much. Worship, feel like we've been there, done that. We go for entertainment rather than ever service. And, and so we stop growing because we're not persevering in the little things. And the same thing is with relationships. When we're infatuated, we talk, 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 talk. We resolve conflict. Can't even imagine going to sleep if I don't know everything's okay between me and my loved one. We give each other gifts. We affirm each other. You do everything you have to do to help each other feel close to each other. And, and so then when the feelings die down and the sexual chemistry dies down a little bit, you stop touching, you stop resolving conduct. It's not worth the bother. You stop doing all of the things. That, and, and so voila, suddenly you don't feel close anymore. And, and so good marriage isn't something you find. It's not. I, I do think it really matters who you marry. But I also think that just because you married somebody who's a good fit, That doesn't guarantee a good marriage if you're not both willing to work on the relationship. Um, I can be in great shape to run a marathon today. I'm not, but let's just say I have been in the past. That doesn't mean I'm going to be in great shape to run a marathon in six months if I stop doing the training. Anybody that's done it, if they've lifted weights, okay, fine. You can bench press 300 pounds today. Don't lift weights for six months. Tell me, can can you bench press 300 pounds? probably not. Um, Same thing, you could feel really close to someone and he can even have the hardware where you're actually a pretty good match, but you've been ignoring each other. You haven't been resolving conflict. You haven't been touching. You haven't been from each. Suddenly you're going to feel very distant from each other. So you want to marry someone who is relationally skilled because if you're infatuated, it's the infatuation that is making you feel close, but it's not going to last. If you want a marriage that lasts, you've got to find somebody who has relational skills. They know how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. Um, they have character issues that doesn't repel you. That they, they do a lot of things. I think humility is a very important thing. Being a giver instead of a taker is a very important thing. These These are issues that help you keep getting closer through the years rather than feeling further apart.
0: Yeah. One thing I want to give you an opportunity is, to kind of give the listeners your final thoughts, but I want to have you do it through this question. You know, I know you have kids of your own and, you know, at one point they were 20 somethings, you know, teenagers, whatever it may be. What advice maybe did you, or do you wish you would have given your young kids when it comes to dating, when it comes to searching for their future spouse?
1: Yeah, well, they had heard me do sacred search seminars. (laughs) So they'd heard a lot of this. With my son, though, I remember having a very specific conversation. He's now married. Where I said, Graham, here's your goal. Because this is not what I did, Nick. Um, You know that phrase, what would Jesus do? I could have given him braces. What what did your dad do? And then do the opposite. It might have been closer for what they should do. I was not a healthy dater. But um, I said to Graham, here's three things that should be true if it's a healthy god honoring relationship. Number one, if you break up, because most often you will, most people will have, six exclusive relationships before they marry someone. So um, if you're normal, you're going to go through Through although Graham married his first real committed girlfriend. But number one, if you break up, she should feel better about herself. The way you treated her, the way you affirmed her, she should feel better about herself. She should feel closer to God. You don't want to have been a temptation. You want to encourage her as your brother in Christ. And number three, she should feel better about men in general. Shouldn't feel like, man. This is the way guys are. I never want to date again. I go. It's not a contract to marry someone when you start dating. You can't do that. You don't know. But if she feels better about herself, closer to God, better about men and John, it's been a successful, God honoring relationship. You've helped lift her up. She's helped lift you up, and you guys can go on your way. And and so that's what I think we want to do is have relationships. I really think that's Paul's whole message about not getting physically intimate before we get married and in 1st Thessalonians a lot of people talk about problems of purity movement and all of that and that if, if you get involved sexually you're ruined and stained and nobody's going to want you that's not Paul's approach um, and he wouldn't say that because he knows in Jesus we can be healed in Jesus we're forgiven in Jesus we're cherished and treasured, uh, saving sex for marriage isn't about you being ruined. Paul says very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or her, her brother or his sister. He, he's basically saying, I don't want the church to be hurting you. I don't want you to be messing up others. They should feel better about themselves. They should feel about the other, gen- better in, other gender in general. And they should feel closer to God. So it's not so much about I'll be ruined. It's I shouldn't be ruining others. I shouldn't be a reason for them to have to heal, although I'm sure I was in the past for some. So um, if we go into that with love guiding us, how as a brother and sister in Christ, can I help you grow yourself toward others, toward everyone? It's a good, healthy relationship.
0: Yeah. You no, know, Gary, thank you so much. I mean, that's incredible wisdom for everybody listening today, especially for those who you know, are single, not married, trying to find their spouse. So seriously, we really appreciate your insight and really appreciate your wisdom today.
1: Happy to do it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah.
0: I hope this episode helped you out and provided you tons of clarity and encouragement. If so, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also share this show on your social media. It helps more than you know. Until next time.